0: Welcome to this special edition of Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today, I'm joined once again by our great friend, Doug Tweed. What a wonderful Bible teacher that Doug is. And I know you are going to enjoy our fascinating conversation today. We're continuing with this thought, the hard sayings of Jesus, and what does Scripture mean when it says that Christ is in us as the hope of glory. Doug's going to explain that today, and I can't wait to share it with you. Are you a podcast listener? If so, I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. It is simply called Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts. You can subscribe today, leave us a five-star review, and share it with a friend. Well, here is my conversation with Doug Tweed. I know you're going to enjoy this special edition of Awakened to Grace. pastor doug welcome back to the podcast today i'm eager to hear what you have to share with us
1: well it is exciting to be here again with you chad thank you and i'm i'm excited beyond measure about this particular topic as you and i were talking prior to uh, going on the air this idea of what it means to be a part of the body of christ and what is the body of christ that we're a part of, and are leaping off scripture for this from the book of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you will allow me, I'll read verses 24 through 28. I happen to be in an English standard version. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, Paul is speaking, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Everywhere we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what I'd like to do, Chad, is before we get to the the meat here of that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is set the stage. Paul has expressed here that he is a minister to his body, the body of Christ. That is the church. And so we have two terms. The word church in the Greek, ekklesia, as we know, means called out ones or called out assembly, set apart ones, We could even call it the assembly of saints. And then the second term, which we're going to talk about at some length, is his body. And Paul's assignment, he says, he was God's theologian. He he wrote Romans and so many other things, had all this training, unlike really the, the gospel writers, this specific training to prepare him to be able to tell God's people what 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 Christ's life and resurrection and ascension and uh, meant and what the church uh, is supposed to be doing, and who she is and and particularly he does this in the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, which are companion letters. They were delivered at the same time by Paul's friends Tychicus to two churches in Asia. He, he goes on then at verse twenty five to say he wants to make the word of God. Fully known, and at verse 28, to say that he wants all these people to be mature in Christ. And then he adds finally that what he is revealing here has been a mystery hidden for ages and ages, but it's now being revealed to this assembly of saints. In Greek culture, they were fascinated with mystery cults and and religions where the select few get to know all the divine secrets. But Paul is saying that the revelation he's got now is for every Christian and that this particular mystery contains great riches of glory, all of which is to say, Chad, that when he says Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying this is a big deal. So so we look at this phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we really have to take two steps or, or, or go through two stages with our understanding. The word you here is in the plural, and and so it can mean one of two things. It can mean Christ in each of you, or it can mean Christ in you as a group, or body. We also need to remember that the word Christ is not the last name of Jesus. (laughs) It's the Greek word used for the Hebrew word Messiah, and both mean anointed one. And that culture would have known clearly anointed one refers to someone who's been anointed by God and approved, assigned, and empowered to accomplish a task or purpose or God. So so the word Christ is a word of purpose, perhaps even a title, but but it's not in and of itself a name. And when Paul uses it in his letters, sometimes he's using it specifically to identify the person of Jesus Christ, and sometimes he's using it to identify that purpose, that title, that, that mission of the anointed one. And with those things in mind, we, we, we look at the first possibility. Christ in you can mean that the person of Jesus Christ lives in each of you who is a Christian. And that's absolutely true. Galatians 2.20 is where Paul said, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in John 15, Jesus himself said, abide in me as I abide in you. It's an incredible revelation that, quite frankly, most Christians are underestimating. We we accept the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we accept the fact that when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit and, and, and most of us embrace the reality from John 3 that we've been born again, born of the Spirit. John 1 calls it being born of God. But we must remember who the Holy Spirit is. We, we, we know that the Bible reveals the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so if the Holy Spirit has been given to you and me and to every Christian, that means that now God lives in you. You become a child of God because God now lives in you. Romans 8, 9 says, If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't yet belong to him. And said, if we stopped right here, <laughs> but every Christian Fully believe this. If we fully believed that it's no longer that I who live, but, but Christ is living in me with me, God lives in me, the, the maker and sustainer of the universe, the, the one who is eternal and, and, and whose power and wisdom and knowledge is all immeasurable. If all we got is an understanding that Jesus, the King of Kings with all authority in heaven and earth, lives in us, well, it would be a game changer. It would be a game changer uh, for the church. It would be a game changer for the world that we're supposed to be witnessing to and, 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 and shaping. I, I, I did a, a recent research off another topic, but it connected in the book of Job. spent hours and hours reading the book of Job, and on three different occasions, Uh, The book of Job reveals that man born of woman really can't be trusted by God, (laughs) can't get away from iniquity. Uh, Job even says angels can't be trusted, and obviously Satan and the rebellious angels prove that to be the case. But now we're dealing with people who are no longer man, male or female, born of woman. Now we're dealing with man, male or female, born of God and indwelt by God.
0: So, so Doug, you, you think, is that what Paul meant in Romans 1 when he says now there's neither, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek? Is that part of what that means?
1: That is part of what it means. And when he says you're a new creation, hmm. okay, the old you was you but no God inside you. <laughs> that guy doesn't exist anymore all right the new you has god living in them and, and 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 if we could come to understand it's kind of the ultimate version of it's not about religion it, or it's about relationship it's just we did not understand the, the the depth and breadth and intimacy and power of the relationship that's being invited I'm going to come live in you. My blood has washed away and covered your sins, and you have expressed your trust in me as your God and your Lord, so I'm going to come live in you. And now we can all say, He who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. What really blows my mind, as as remarkable and wonderful as a revelation God lives in each of us is, is that there is a step two. There is a stage two. And it has to do with this concept of Christ in you, the hope of glory, where you is referring to the group, the body. And I think what we're going to find as we go through is that that is where we find the hope We, 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 to understand that phrase, have to really look at the passage, uh, Colossians 1.27, in the context of the whole message of Colossians and Ephesians. And, And a key is seeing that Christ in you is the hope of glory, so we have to understand what hope of glory means. I think we should all recognize pretty easily that glory is not about us. It's not about individuals. It's not about people. All glory always goes to God. And Ephesians 4, where we're going to spend some time a little later as well, is is where uh, Paul tells us to live in a manner worthy of our calling because we're one body, one spirit, and there's one hope to our calling. It goes on in, in those verses to talk of one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all, and all of that is part of this. But what we really want to hook on to here is the one hope of our calling, because that is our purpose. That is our goal. The one hope of our calling is the hope of glory, and that is the goal of our purpose of Christ. And then Paul tells us in Colossians and Ephesians what the goal or purpose of Christ is, that is, this hope of glory. It is to reconcile or bring together all things in heaven and earth into Christ. I want you to think for a minute with me, Chad and Eric. In John 1... We had that incredible passage about Jesus. He is the Word. He was in the beginning with God, and he he is God, and all things were created through him. And that's just amazing. That is actually a truth that is repeated in Colossians by Paul at chapter 1, verse 16. But we also know that through sin and rebellion, first by angels, by Satan, and then by mankind deceived by Satan, that everything got separated from God and everything got broken and it needs to be restored. So now Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, is become Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the anointed one who is assigned to reconcile, recreate, redeem, repair all of the things in heaven and earth that had been broken and separated so everything can be restored to him, for him, through him. And, and when, we, when we look elsewhere in Scripture to find what that would look like, we find Moses at, at Romans 14, excuse me, Numbers 14, 21, and the prophet Habakkuk at chapter 2, verse 14. And what do they say? They both say, one day all of the earth will be filled with the glory of God. When everything is reconciled back to Christ in him, through him, and for him, then all the world will be filled with the glory of God. And that is the hope of
0: glory. So, Pastor Doug, is this, is this what Paul meant when he writes in 2 Corinthians that we are ministers of reconciliation?
1: That's absolutely what he meant. When he talks about the hope of glory and this concept of Christ in his body being the step two that is the hope of glory— then then we are dealing with the purpose of Christ now being brought about by Christ in this new paradigm where he's the head and we're the body. So in 2 Corinthians, it was in chapter 5, he says the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. I might add in John 20, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, the Father, was in Jesus, and now Jesus is in us. And, 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 and so we come to uh, some scriptures that will really affirm that for us. In and, and Colossians 1.18, Paul states that, that, that Jesus is the head of the body, the firstborn of the dead. And we might think there of Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. And then we're the aftermath. He was the seed that died and was planted, you know, the first of many sons and daughters. All of these images, the cornerstone is Jesus, the living stones being laid alongside the cornerstone to build the house for God. That's us. Hmm. And then Ephesians 2 kind of even uh, makes that more apparent. There Paul says that, he, that God is bringing all Christians, Jew and Gentile, and he's reconciling all of them into one body as one household to be one temple and dwelling place for God. The first step in the reconciliation of all things is the reconciliation of the body to Christ. And as we become the body of Christ, then the head, Jesus Christ, uses his body in this new paradigm to continue the reconciliation of all other things. It's it's just staggering. Uh, Ephesians 4, we've already mentioned before, one body, one spirit, one hope to our calling. But now let's look, and let's look really hard at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And if it's okay, I'm going to read this scripture, and then uh, we're going to break it down, okay? Starting at, at verse 11. And he, and he is Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And God is love. Now, now when you break this down, Chad, here are the kinds of things that he says in order. First, he says, some members of the body have been gifted and equipped and called to equip the rest of the members of the body for the work of ministry. If you look hard at what we call those five equipping ministries, what he's done is divide in a portion what he alone was doing when he walked the earth. Christ was the ultimate apostle. Christ was the ultimate prophet. Christ was the ultimate evangelist and shepherd and rabbi teacher but now he's divvying that up among a variety of quipping ministries and beyond that, divvying up the ministry of the anointed one, the purpose, the calling of Christ among all the saints who are to be involved in this work of ministry in his name. Then he goes on to say that we are going to be maturing in this process, we're we're, we're not going to be little children anymore bounced around by what really amounts to the the tricks of the enemy, traditions of man, doctrines of demons, and the flesh, and things of that nature. Instead, we're going to grow up. And and first and foremost, we're going to grow up in every way as the body and as members of the body into he who is the head. And he who is the head is Jesus, and where does he live? He lives in each of us. So the connection is there for us to be able to do that. And th- then he adds that when each member is working properly, in other words, we're all called, we're all, we all have tasks to do, we're all important, and, and when we are rightly joined together with each other, and that, that reminds us we're to be fully connected to Christ, but also rightly connected to each other. That's why unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is so important. Okay? Then we're going to be operating at a maturity that is actually measured by the stature. And the word stature there is a word that can mean a fullness, a, a completion, a fulfillment of the anointed one and his calling to bring about the reconciliation of all things. And, and, and if I can just add this, I'm bubbling over, so I will just want to add this. What does it mean to be fully connected to Christ? Well, go to John. If Paul is the theologian for Jesus, well, John's the last word. You know, John's gospel was written decades after everybody else, and, and he had uh, 40 years to live as a spirit-filled, spirit-transformed, spirit-empowered, spirit-led Christian. So his, his gospel teaches us more about the Holy Spirit than anyone, and he's the one that gives us the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that we would be one with Jesus in the same way that he was one with the Father when he walked the earth. That is fully connected.
0: Doug, all that you're sharing from the scriptures here, boy, it's challenging me as not only as a pastor, but as a Christ follower myself, how far, I think we get as the church, how far away from the original purpose of Christ. And you know, one thing that as you're talking about reconciliation and what the purpose of Jesus is within his church, Uh, And you're reading so wonderfully and explaining so effectively Paul's letters to the church. You know, the thing that I'm just, I think, is noticeably absent. I I don't hear Paul saying, well, what's your revenue targets? (laughs) What's your budget? Uh, What's your attendance? Uh, How's your music program? What are you doing with students and kids' church? All of these things that yes, they're important, and yes, we 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 measure them. But at the same time, are we so focused on them that we're missing what the purpose of the church is? And I think you're doing a great job. At, you're you're pulling me. You're pulling my heart back to the balance of what Scripture says. No, we're to be growing to the full measure of the stature of Jesus. No, we are to present everyone mature in christ how through the ministry of reconciliation
1: chad this that you say about the ministry of reconciliation and the pursuit of uh, the maturity of both individuals and the maturity of the church the body of christ as a whole so important why we write our own mission statement sometimes confuses me we've been told we're a people for his own possession, called to show forth and demonstrate and proclaim his excellencies. We're to be the household of prayer, we're to be the royal priesthood, and we're to be his witnesses, not just witnesses, but good witnesses, people who present him to the world. And, And all of that requires us to be mature in the Lord obeying his first commandment to us as our head, love one another as I have loved you, to have this unity of the Spirit and to understand um, that there's great significance to why we've been left on the earth after we've been saved and God comes to live in us. Sometimes what I do is I look at the image when Christ walked the earth One man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, emptied of everything but filled with the Holy Spirit and all the fullness of God, one with the Father. And he declared in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and talks of bringing sight to the blind and and freedom to the captives and deliverance to the oppressed and things of that wonderful nature. Well, the same Holy Spirit of God presence of God, indwelling of God that anointed him, now anoints us. And Jesus Christ walking the earth with two legs and two arms, but now ascended, becomes the head. And all of us who are his believers, his disciples, the children of God, become members of his new body, the body of Christ. It just it, it just blows my mind. And, and, and uh, in, in closing, I guess I want to do two things. First of all, I want to challenge us all to the importance of our role, our mission as the body. In John 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And uh, we all understood that if branches are not connected to the vine, they can't grow fruit. But the disciples also understood, because they knew about grapes, that a vine doesn't grow fruit without branches. God has chosen a plan where instead of him being the vine and the branches, he's the vine and we're the branches. So we have this incredible role to play. And I can ask the question, what's the branch without the vine? I can also ask the question, what's the vine without the branch? And then we turn to this image this reality of Christ being the head and us being the body. And I asked the question, what is the body without the head? Without our awareness that Christ lives in us, each of us, so that Eric, Chad, I'm not only aware that he lives in me, I'm aware that he lives in you, and I treat you that way. And we work together. The second and and very last, I promise, uh, distinction that I want to make is this. Uh, We, as modern people in America or elsewhere in this modern world, we're not unaccustomed to using the word body for a group of people. You know, a body of people can be a group of people with shared interest or shared views or shared goals or a shared leader or any combination Like that, and and there's lots of organizations that function that way, and a lot of people would say that that most of the church operates in that way, and and then when a body of people operating in that way are working well together, we we might even say the body is a team, and like a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team, each is doing their part. In football, one's tackling and one's blocking and one's throwing the ball, one catching the ball, one running the ball, whatever the case may be. They're all working together for the shared goal uh, with respect to the game that they're playing. And and I think there's a lot of fruitful churches that are operating in that way. But, But when Paul brings up this image of the body, it sounds a great deal to me much more like a human body. Not a bunch of people choosing just to cooperate with one another. But but in my body, I have a head. And my head has a brain and a mind. And it is my mind and my brain that are directing and commanding the rest of my body, the members, my arms, my legs, everything else. Uh, you know to do what they do and 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 what is used for this is the nervous system that connects my mind and brain to all the other parts of my body. Well, Paul makes it very clear to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God now lives in us and 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 Christ is the head, the Holy Spirit lives in us. In John 16, Christ said, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. He will take what I have and give it to you. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are one, one God, three persons. And so the head, Jesus Christ, uses the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who operates as a nervous system to speak to every member Of his body, just like my nervous system speaks to every member of my body, and then when my body's cooperating so that all the fingers are doing the same thing at the same time and I'm able to grip the mug or whatever the case may be, then we're operating the way we're supposed to operate. All of this is to say Christ in us, the anointed one, in the body of Christ with Jesus Christ as the head of the body. That's the hope of glory of Colossians 1.27. That's the plan that God has to bring about the reconciliation of all things on heaven and on earth. The details of how he accomplishes that way beyond my pay grade. But... Uh, He can be trusted, and we need to embrace the reality. God lives in me, and God lives in you. And the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same Lord, the same Father is for both of us. And we need to be operating fully connected, one with Him, one with each other. Under His leadership, we can change the world around. I just want to thank you so much, Chad and Eric, for allowing me to come back. I'm just so excited about this topic, and there's still so much to learn, and I'm going to appreciate everybody's feedback. But if it's okay with you, I'd like to close us with prayer, okay? Great. Wonderful Heavenly Father, wonderful Lord Jesus, wonderful Holy Spirit of the Lord. I speak of you in that census three because you relate to us in all three wonderful ways. But we know you're one God. We know that you're one Lord and you're our God and you're our Lord. And you sit on your throne in heaven. (laughs) And Jesus, you're the name above every name with all authority in heaven and earth. And yet at the same time, by the truth of your word, we know you live in each of us. You're there and you're here. And we ask that you would help each of us and all of us to begin to live in that reality, the reality that our Lord Christ is inside us. Christ lives in me, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me, and I live for him. Allow that to be, God, the way we look at things and and the way we live, and be glorified. Let your kingdom come. And your will be done in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and our nation and throughout the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awakened to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.